Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today I am delighted to be joined once again by the Axom team, Declan McConville, GP Mason. Welcome back, we're another week into the silence uh, and 75 days away from our first uh, Champions League qualifier for next season, JP. Uh, also, interestingly enough, you also uh, reminded us that was the year that we lost the 10, first time round, so... 
Cheers for that. <laughs> before our time, before any of our time. So you know, I know, and it's not often that I can. Uh, it's not often I can say that these days. But yeah, we're still getting a, a, a huge amount of silence coming out of Celtic Park. There's a few talking points today. That's one of the things I want to talk about: the fan disengagement. Um, you know, I don't always like to to use Chelsea as an example, but we'll look at what Chelsea are doing to get their fans involved in uh, the process at the club by inviting them into the board meetings which is uh, quite a groundbreaking uh, move by Chelsea. Uh, obviously the spirit of Shankly at Liverpool are in discussions with their club uh, around fan representation on the board yet yeah, at Celtic everything remains quiet so I mean it's, it's indicative of where we are at the club at the moment we'll also be speaking about the announcement last night um, around the Celtic Colts being included in the pyramid system this is something that was uh, floated by Jock Steen back in 1968. Some people said he was a forward-thinking manager, but that has taken it to new degrees. <laughs> he made he made an application in 1968 to get the Celtic B team, the Quality Street Gang as it was at the time, into the second division in Scotland. And there's a few other things to discuss. Um, there was a an interesting freedom of information request Declan McConville all around the Dubai trip that just won't go away have a wee chat about that um, player of the year first time in a decade a Celtic player has not been nominated once again it really just um, is indicative of how bad the season's been and let's have a wee look at the uh, some of the targets and some of the um, names that are being linked to Celtic because there was an interesting discussion um, in the Axom WhatsApp group can, that can get a bit hairy at times in there but there was an interesting discussion about the transfer policy and where we're going to go from here um, so we'll have a wee chat about that and looking close up to home but first and foremost uh, JP what's your feeling now um, all this time later with absolutely no real movement to speak of in uh, relation to the, the managerial situation and the engagement with supporters it's, it's kind of weird. I've got like a kind of. I think I said this before. I've kind of got like one, you know, one thought about it on one hand and one thought about it another in terms of the silence and the the, the supposed so-called disengagement. Mm. And I just just before I came on air, I read a, a, a certain journalist for a certain paper's article about this whole thing. I'm not going to mention who it is, um, but he was basically implying that you know. There must be. They must be sitting on something. How could they not be sitting on something? You know, there's absolutely no way that there would just be this this level and length of silence if there wasn't something. If they didn't have a a, a couple of rabbits out of a hat, and he actually said, you know, a new manager, a new captain. You know, who's to say that you know we wouldn't announce a new cap, a new signing as a new captain at the exact same time as a new head coach or manager, which is something I hadn't previously thought about, but. Um, that's that's a possibility as well because I actually think that we need to sign someone to be a new captain. I don't think there's anybody there that 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 is standing head and shoulders above above everyone else to be in a captain material. It's a discussion that's um, you know been aired on Axom a few times over the last few weeks, so we'll pick up on that just now. JP, the Celtic captaincy, Declan. Obviously, we're going to be saying farewell very soon to Scott Brown who there was the discussion just yesterday or the day before yesterday around the fact that he can't be uh, referred to as a legend uh, according to Charlie Nicholas and interestingly enough some of the commenters uh, that day agreed that he's not a legend that personally 
you know, it's difficult to define what's a legend, what's a great, uh, what even is a cult icon, Declan. But Scott Brown, I think, in my mind, is a club legend. He's a modern day legend. Maybe in time people will appreciate it more, as often happens with football. But I agree with JP. Um, and I think I've said in the past that I don't think Callum McGregor, although he has been touted as a natural successor for the armband, I don't think he's a captain. He's come off probably the worst season that he's had in a Celtic jersey. Um, and I don't think that giving him the added, um, you know, responsibility of being the captain uh, when the pressure next season is going to be massive with the rebuild and winning back the league title, new manager, new regime, new structure. I don't think that would be a good idea. I don't think he's a natural captain, Declan. And I've, I've pitched the case for Chris Iyer, but I doubt very much that Chris Iyer will be at the club. Um, and I know a lot of Celtic supporters have huge concerns about his ability as a centre half. Um, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of defending, for example, Declan, which we've not done well enough this season. Um, obviously, he's partly uh, to blame for that. So, what's your thoughts on a captain? Have we ever signed somebody and instilled him as a captain straight away? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Um, you know, and Scott Brown, to me, he's, he's a Celtic legend. You know, I think for anybody that, that's round about my age, he's, he's always been in the team. So, it is going to be very strange to watch Celtic without Scott Brown. Um, Probably before last week, I would have said Callum McGregor was was a man to be Celtic captain. But you know, he's naive in the big game last week. I think we were all let down. Yes, Walsh, looking back on the actual ruling, um, shouldn't have did it because I never knew that the ruling is if you do play advantage that you know then allowed to go back and book the player. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Callum McGregor is probably going to be the guy that would dig you a hole and rally the troops if you're down. Um, and I think the way his game is. You know, people would be kind of describe him as a very tippy-tappy type of player. He likes to get the ball on the ground and move it about. He's he's no one that will put his foot in and whatnot. Um, so it probably is at the point now where we are looking to, to maybe sign a replacement captain. Um, but, you know, Callum McGregor, I, I would like him to be part of the squad, but I, I don't. I, I now don't think he's going to be the right guy to be the captain. Um, it's going to be important for the rebuild, but I just don't think he's maybe got the, the right attributes to be Celtic captain I'm going to come to you on this one JP because it's something I've felt for, for some time around the, the captaincy that was given to Paul McStay now before anybody gets uh, ravenous about the fact that I'm using Paul McStay as an example I'm not comparing him to Callum McGregor and I'm not going to compare him to David Turnbull either but I think that um, obviously the, the time the timing of that was that we were going through a huge upheaval at Celtic at the time that he was given the captaincy we'd lost some massive massively influential players in Tommy Burns and Roy Aiken who were born captains of Celtic if you ask me and then you know we had a lot of new players coming in a few youngsters coming in new management team and Paul McStay was given the, the captaincy and I remember reading actually in one of Billy McNeil's autobiographies that um, there was a a sense of regret looking back that it may have been too much on the shoulders of Paul McStay who should have just been left to develop and perform as the player we knew he was. Um, so on the one hand you've got the very, very poor Celtic team he was playing in in the kind of like, you know, uh, early 90s and the extra burden of the captaincy and obviously I, I don't think we've seen the best of him because of these uh, these reasons. The very peak of his powers for me was the centenary season, JP. So I think there is always, uh, for me a sense of uh, you know caution when giving a captaincy to a player there are some players who can take it 
at will at ease and run with it and I just think you know what if we want to see the best of McGregor next season if we want to see him getting back to his best giving him the captaincy would be a bad bad idea um, what's your thoughts on my my words on Paul McStay in the captaincy do you think that that affected his play back in the early 90s as well as everything else that was going oh, on I was going to say as well as everything else God, I mean, the, the, the fact that we uh, were operating a biscuit tin mentality when it came to signings to, to help to help him out as a captain and, and all that I think I think with McGregor McGregor is definitely about standards and I think McGregor has, has, has probably learned a lot from, from Brendan Rodgers in his time mm. and, and you never hear any patter about McGregor he's not in social media you never hear about him, you know, being up to anything out, out and about uh, Glasgow or anything like that. And I like that about him. Um, and I certainly think in terms of a role model as a football player, 100% Cal McGregor is, is, is one to look up to. But I think, he's, I don't know if he's got that, that kind of angry bite side of it that, that Scott Brown has had in his time as captain. And I think it's all about a balance when, you, when yeah. you're appointing a captain. And that's why I say... I don't think there's anybody that stands out because I don't think I will be there after the summer from everything that, that, that the people have said and, and, and certainly noises that have been made before today. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, I, I would, you know, it's, it's opened my, that article has opened my mind to thinking of, you know, what would happen if that did happen, if someone just mm-hmm. came straight in and was, was made captain. I, I don't think you can say it's going to upset the dressing room because... The, the dressing room isn't together anyway. I mean, from what I can see. So. No. No, I mean, with regards to Ayer again, I've been a big um, supporter of Chris Ayer, a big champion of him, uh, but again, you've just got to look at how poor we've been defensively, and he's part of that, so he's got to take the responsibility for it but I'm like yourself, JP, I don't expect him to still be at the club, which frightens me, because I've already read out the potential defence that we'll have, unless we really strengthen in that respect, but Callum McGregor, Declan, we've heard quite a lot of comments coming in saying that he gets a bit of a free ride on a Celtic state of mind, we never criticise him for bad performances, and I guess it's a try to strike a balance between what happens often with James Forrest and the amount of criticism he was getting prior to his injury, um, but actually looking at uh, the reasons behind it as well. And I think that McGregor, for me, has been carrying a couple of players um, during every game, and he's probably played too much football. And then when we decide to rest them, we rest them in the wrong game, in the cup game against Ross County. So yeah, I take it. Um, and I just said there, I think it's the worst season he's had in a Celtic jersey, but I'm not writing him off. And uh, he's one player that I don't want to leave in the pre-season. I'm almost resigned to Ayer going, I think Edward's going, and I would expect Christie to go as well. But I don't want Callum McGregor, because although I don't think he's a captain, I do think he's influential. Like what JP says, he's he's kind of like a role model. I know there was a, a small blip in his, his kind of copybook. Uh, there was an incident in Glasgow, but that was a few years ago, and there's, he's certainly not a boy about town who gets himself into scrapes and all that. So I want to see him stay, and it's important to keep players like McGregor, because there needs to be some kind of succession. It can't just be a new team that we put out next season. Yeah, there needs to be a, a continuity in there and I think Callum McGregor, you know, I, I think I've came to expect so much from him in terms of performance. He'd always be a kind of solid seven or eight out of ten in the majority of games. I thought last season he was very good. He scored that really good goal at Firth Park and whatnot. Um but this season he's been below par. Um he showed he had did have a bit of bottle about him if you remember the Lille game at Celtic Park. Mm-hmm. Probably our best performance of the season. He mm-hmm. makes a mistake and he goes up the park and he scores a penalty. So um, 
it showed a bit of character and a bit of bottle, which he's definitely got in his game. And I think under the right manager, in terms of what he's probably, what you touched on earlier, JP, in terms of, you know, Roger's attention to detail with players um, is something I think Callum McGregor probably likes. And I think under a new management system would probably thrive. So I think it's important that we keep Callum in the team. He's a good bit of continuity in the team. He's an experienced head. He gets what Celtic's all about. But um, in terms of captaincy, I'm unsure. Now, the, the main headline, um, if there is such a thing on a Celtic state of mind, is all around um, fan engagement, uh, JP. Why Dominic Mackay should allow supporter presence at the board meetings? Now, I'm going to bring up a few different views on this one. So, first of all, Liam Reid, who's watching on YouTube. Thanks for joining us, Liam. If anyone else is out there watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel because uh, big plans for Axom and all the other channels that the contributors are creating. Young Declan there is uh, the presenter of the state of politics which um, is getting some very very good views you went live the other day Declan it was a, a good watch Liam says I'm really disappointed in Dominic Mackay we were told that he is great at engaging with fans since he has come in I have seen nothing to suggest that's the case now we've got probably the counter to that which is Gwyn's beard who says he isn't fully in a job yet though he didn't just start early, he's under PL's wing at the moment, Peter is still in the job. So yeah, absolutely, he's not yet uh, in position, but he's at the club. And I remember in the week that Dominic arrived early, uh, we asked the question, when's he going to address the Celtic fans? And some of the comments we got was, let him get in the door, what, what's the point in coming in, he's got nothing to say. Well, it would have just basically been a holding address, wouldn't it? It would basically say that um, I'm here, we know it's been a really, really poor season, and this is what we hope to do to uh, re-engage with you and improve matters. Uh, would you expect JP, you know, we're now two and a half weeks down the line, would you have expected anything from Dominic Mackay, or are you of the view that you know what he's not in position yet? Um, Kevin Graham reckons he's trying to find out with the biscuit stashes and all this kind of stuff. Um, but there is that induction period, isn't it? The, the the handover from Peter Lowell, you know, eighteen years worth of handover onto Dominic Mackay. So where are you on this? I just immediately heard Kev's on uh, <laughs> almost an imitable accent there saying those exact words. Um, where am I on the Dominic? I think I, no, I don't. I don't. I haven't expected him to come out and say anything because it, it, it just wouldn't. I wouldn't feel right for him to come out as a guy who's basically shadowing on a job to come out and address. You know what is quite a sizable amount of people, really, if you think about it. I mean, mm. sometimes I forget how many people. You know, maybe tune into this. You know, it just feels like I'm just sitting talking to you two, and then you're like, "Oh, I actually a few thousand people are watching this." So, for him to come out and address the Celtic, you know, fan base, it's quite a big moment for him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going forward, so I don't think it's right that he necessarily does that while Peter Law was still in charge. I would have expected maybe to hear something, and I know that uh, John Paul uh, the the SLO had indicated in a tweet that they expected something from Celtic within the last couple of days. They thought there was mm. going to be some sort of general address to the to the fans and that's not been forthcoming. So I would have thought that would have happened already. Um, mm -hmm. And But with regards to the question about supporter presence in the board meeting, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to send a maniac in there, but somebody that's balanced and, you know, uh, maybe is already known between, you know, amongst the support or whatever, but just to, just to have a voice, you know, uh, it, would, it would be great, you know, and, and also yeah. you get honest, honest 
uh, an honest reveal about what actually goes on. <laughs> I mean, if, if they would be allowed to reveal that to us as fans. Uh, you know, these are the things, JP, obviously... I met you through a Celtic state of mind and Declan mainly we know each other through a Celtic state of mind so you get to know a lot of different people and it's brilliant but one of the people one of the people one of the persons that came in was Tom Grant and you remember Tom JP from being part of the the, the old um, board obviously he inherited his father's shares and his father had inherited it from their um, his cousin um, or auntie. So he, he basically inherited all these shares at Celtic and ended up as a board member uh, and he was a fan and he still is a fan and he's a season ticket holder and he still goes with his mates obviously under normal circumstances he would anyway. And one of the insights that he gave us that day as well as things and by the way this was a quite an early Axom podcast that we did so check it out because it will be on YouTube and Spreaker and iTunes and stuff but there was a few really really good insights into uh, the workings of Celtic around about that time. One of them in actual fact, was around the Mo Johnston deal. So if you can bear to listen about that, go back and give that a wee quick listen because he talks about dodgy payments, under-the-table payments, basically bungs, and Celtic were offered, uh, you know, if you pay X amount under the table and it's not in the books, you'll get the player. Um, and apparently somebody else was willing to pay that, but Celtic weren't at the time, and that's why the deal eventually fell through. So Tom Grant was talking about this, but he was talking about the board meeting. So... When his father passed away, his first job was he was to he basically minuted all the meetings, JP. All the boardroom meetings, all the board meetings, he done the minutes. And he kept all the notes and he still got them. So if you look at I think he came in round about the time of David Hay coming in as the manager. So what am I looking at? 83, 84 kind of time. And he was there right up actually he was still at the club as a stadium manager when Fergus came in. So he was at the club for a long time. So I would love to have a wee look through the, the boardroom meetings, you know, and the different things that were discussed. It would be an incredible insight. But the, the reason I'm bringing it up in, in relation to the supporter presence, there's been quite a lot of talk around uh, fan representation. And um, obviously there's the Celtic Shared, um, you know, innovation that uh, we've spoken about and we've chaired a couple of the, the Q&As on a Celtic state of mind. And it's an interesting uh, way to, to actually attack it or, or tackle the issue. But I'm looking at the situation down south, uh, Chelsea. I'm going to use them as an example because it's actually a very good example. And as of the 1st of July, Chelsea have announced that there will be supporter presence at the board meetings. Now, as JP says, Declan, right, even when we did our first dial-in show, and it was a trial show yesterday with Amy and Colin, uh, people say it was very contrived because there was a few of the wider contributors dialing in. That was because we were just basically checking the system, making sure it was it would work. But we did have one absolutely brand new contributor um, of I would maybe say a dozen people that got in touch with us who hopefully will all appear at some time but the process of getting someone on and as uh, JP says and they're not a maniac it's quite a difficult situation so obviously everything has to be vetted and, 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 and all that kind of thing and I'm guessing that if there was representation at these meetings or, or indeed on the board um, eventually it was something. It would need to be something that was on a nomination um, kind of process. It's not as though somebody could self-nominate, or a, or a group, or a firm, or an association could self-nominate. The fans would have to have a say in that, of course. Um, but what's your thoughts on it, Declan? Moving into a, a whole new era of football post-COVID, is this the way forward for a club like Celtic? 
I think one of the things I want to touch on first, Paul, is Bayern Munich's club president, what he said yesterday about season tickets. Now, this is a kind of wee drift away, but I thought it was really interesting to hear what he said. He said, this is verbatim, we could charge more than £104. Let's say we charged £300, we'd get £2 million more in income. But, but what's £2 million to us? In a transfer discussion, you argue about that some for five minutes. But the difference between £104 and £300 is huge for the fan. We do not think the fans are like cows who you milk. Football has got to be for everybody. That's the biggest difference between us and England. Now, German football is, of course, very different to British football. I understand that. Bayern Munich's a very different football club to Celtic. But there was a very good piece of communication between Bayern Munich's president and their supporters. Mm. Now... I know Dominic Mackay is not fully in his role at this point in time, but something doesn't even need to be from Dominic Mackay, Peter Lawwell, Ian Bankier, somebody. But I think what's been the issue for, for fans, not just this season or years previous, is that lack of communication. The only time it happens is at the AGM, you get a section, I've been to two, people can ask questions, you get a couple of minutes, somebody will answer it, and then that's it. And it's no, you, you don't get the time because these things, you know, they want their cup of tea and they're off and that's it so I think if a club like Chelsea can do it Celtic can do it again would it be official bodies that represent fans whether that be the affiliation the association we've got the trust to represent a lot of fans I don't have a problem with it because at the end of the day you know fans should have as big a say in the running of their football club as the people on the board are there and we're the people that are paying for season tickets I get that you need smart businessmen to be there all these guys that are on our board should be able to do their job properly at points this time this season that has been questionable mm. but I, I wouldn't have an issue with any fan getting in there and you know being able to put their, their hat into the ring whether they're listened to or not is a different story but I think you would certainly ease the tension that's been created this season by allowing that to happen because you would have some form of communication and that's something Celtic really, really need to work on which I think Dominic Mackay will work on he's got a degree in media and communications um, so you know I think that's the one thing we need to work on and it's not you know we're not expecting big who has and whatever but just talk to us I've said mm-hmm. that continually on this podcast you know if things don't happen they don't happen but if you tried then okay see the big thing for me I'm going to uh Name drop Tony Haggerty, who is a very um, trusted uh, and valued member of the Axon team. And he did say, because obviously he's from a media background, and that's a, that is a job and an employment route that Declan, yourself, you're taking uh, into journalism and media. And he was speaking about how everybody thinks that, uh, you know, they, they always shout about engagement and, uh, you know, I would say this and I would say that. But the minute you give sometimes people a platform to actually air their views or ask the question, you know, they, they fall silent so it's very important to get the right people to represent the fans so that when it comes down to the crunch when they get that moment uh, that opportunity to put all, you know across the fan views they are capable and able to do it so on that note actually and you've got to be as fair and balanced as possible we've heard that Declan Declan uh, that Dominic Mackay um, has been contacting Celtic supporters. We heard it, you know, live on Axom two or three Mondays ago that he phoned uh, a specific Celtic fan at home and was on the phone for 10 minutes having a chat with him. So there's engagement ongoing. It might just be that um, a lot of the people who are 
uh, being engaged with aren't shouting from the rooftops. Um, in relation to ourselves as a podcast, as a broadcast, a Celtic State of Mind have been trying for a long time to engage with the club in various different ways. Declan, I, I probably explained them to yourself over the yeah. over the piece. Uh, press access was something that we have tried to get. We've also tried to speak to certain members of the club, um, certain directors uh, of the club, and you know, so that we could put it out to the wider fan base. Because although JP, what you were saying there is correct about going out to thousands, the reason I sometimes mention that is that obviously, in relation to progressing Axom and getting in. You know, proper sponsors to uh, the channel to allow us to develop it and grow it uh, and get more people on board. I need to look at all the figures. I need to look at these things. So, although we'll never, um, you know, chase a clickbait headline to get an audience in, it is important that people are tuning in. And I think that shows itself a kind of small microcosm of the Celtic support. You know, it, it's a community in itself. But one thing the club have done because you've got to be balanced, is they have started allowing us to attend certain press conferences um, that they put forward. Now, although we have, through a state of mind, access to clubs including Hibs and Livingston, so we have the same kind of access as like Sky Sports, STV, BBC, etc. Um, when it comes to Celtic, we are often given the kind of individual events that they set up just for fan or alternative media. And that's great because it's better than, you know, the nothing that we were getting before. But next week, here's, here's the thing. Next week, we have been invited into a press conference with Scott Brown. Right, the departing captain Scott Brown and Natasha will be re representing a Celtic state of mind at that press conference but it goes back to the point I made before we're going on about fan representation and what would you say and what would you ask have a wee think about that so if I was to say to you Dick right you're sitting in for Axon next week you're speaking to Scott Brown what would you ask him? Um, I'd probably ask him you know leaving Celtic now does he feel that there's a regret in leaving at this point in time with what's happened? Would he have liked to have left on a high, inevitably? Um, does he ever see a future for himself back at the club? Mm. Does he still think he's got a lot of time left in his legs? Um, remember, this is I've got a wee bit of experience with the old pressers. I mean, my new pal Jack Ross, so um, <laughs> I became an old hand at them. But uh, yeah, I, I think that'd be quite an interesting one. I'll probably tune into that because it'd be quite here. And again, you, you, you'll get different questions asked to Scott, again, from fans' views, because even though I want to do journalism and whatnot, some of these questions that you watch and listen to from the old uh, traditional journalists are the same questions. They're boring. Generic. Some, yeah, they're generic. It's the same rubbish. Oh, it's blah, blah, blah. You're looking forward to this, and you've had a good season, and blah, blah. And it's like, change it up a bit. So I think alternative fans' media... Uh, been able to talk to figures like Scott Brown and whatnot is very good and you can get different questions we've seen that even this season when uh, we're given about access to the pressers by John Kennedy that you can ask different questions but mm -hmm. that's what I would ask Scott Brown about you know probably the element of regret this season and um, if he saw maybe himself coming back to the club in a future role Interesting what about yourself JP any burning questions you would ask Bruni? Uh, why did you kick out a Neymar in that Champions League game? <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 as much as I love him, oh man, I still wish he had that because I think we would have beat them again that night. I really do. Uh, that was frustrating. That was uh, frustrating. Yep. Um, but no, I'd, I'd, I'd probably ask him. Um, 
if he really, if, I'd probably ask him what his highlight in the Champions League game would be because obviously he's played in loads, not many recently, unfortunately, but uh, he's played in loads of them. I'd ask him what, what his highlight is in that in terms of the calibre of players that he was going up against because, I mean, if you look at his roll call of the fields he's gone up against over the last 13 years, I mean, he's definitely gone up against some of the best players that have ever graced a football pitch. Yeah. Um, Javi, Iniesta, I mean, I mean, that's stuff at the top of my head. Though. I mean, I'm sure there's way, way more. I bet you it's amazing. So I'd ask him that. And I'd also ask him if uh, uh, his thoughts on the Dubai trip. And I know he wouldn't give me an honest answer, but I'd be like, did you, did you want to go? Did you, right. when, when you were told you want to go to Dubai? It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Did you want, as a captain, did you think yeah. That see that again. That would be a very very interesting one because if it was shaped in such a way, um, you know, it, it's a difficult question for him, isn't it? Because he's oh, still represent. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. I understand. It's not. You know, if I was if I was given the opportunity, I don't think I'd ask that question because, well, I probably wouldn't be allowed to ask that question, and you know, he wouldn't be able to give me an honest answer. He'd probably be like, next. <laughs> this is a good one. This is. I'm glad you brought it up, JP, because it actually gives you the difference between, as Declan was talking there, the mainstream side of things against um, alternative media. So, for example, if you were working for one of the mainstream channels or uh, newspapers, you'd probably be told to ask that that question. You'd, you'd be told, go in and ask that question. And if you don't, then you're going to be questioned. So that, that is agenda-driven, isn't it? And that, that has always been the issue. So you'd be going in there with this agenda that some other guy, um, some other guy above you or girl is, is telling you to go in and ask that question. When it comes to us as an alternative Celtic channel, Natasha goes in there and asks her, ask her question in any way, shape or form she decides. You know, So I think it's the agenda against the non-agenda kind of driven um, view on it. I, I, I would be interested because I think that, you know, we're in a we're in an era where, you know, statues of Celtic players have been going up um, and they're up for the right people, you know, Jimmy Johnson and, um, you know, you've got Brother Walfred, Jock Steen, Billy McNeil. And then there's plans to have another one of Billy McNeil. There's another one in Odinston of, of Jimmy Johnston. Uh, and that... Uh, yeah, Bobby Lennox, that's right. Yeah, Salt Coats. And I think these are great. And I actually think that there should be one for every single Lisbon line. 
uh, you know, in their place where they were either residing or, or where they were born, a place associated to the player. Personally, that's what I feel. Um, but the big thing about Hillabeath, where Scott Brown comes from, is that there's one of Jim Baxter. So when you're driving into Hillabeath, which is a tiny wee village in Fife, and you're driving in, there's this um, beautiful bronze statue of Jim Baxter on the left-hand side. And he's nonchalantly kind of looking down on you as he's uh, moving with the ball. And you just think, well, it would be nice on the other side of the road to have the Bruni, you know, a statue of the Bruni, just standing like that. So um, I think these things cost about 70 or 80 grand, so we might start the fundraising for that. Um, but I don't think Scott Brown would, would buy into it. So, yeah... On the one hand, we're talking about a lack of engagement. On the other, credit to the club. They've asked us in for that uh, press conference next week. And Natasha will be representing Axom. And I'm looking forward to some of our questions. Um, and I'll pass that one on to our JP that you that you raised there um, in relation to, to that. Because on the subject of Dubai, there was a freedom of information uh, published on the government website last night, um, Declan. I believe it's now a 404 not found message you get when you click on the link, probably because there's been some issues with the redaction, maybe a data breach, something along the lines. Um, what did you make of it? I think it was a 34-page document. Um, one of the Axrom team had the foresight to save it, so we do have access to that document. Um, anything groundbreaking? I believe that it cuts off at a very pivotal moment in the proceedings uh, prior to the decision, obviously, to, to uh, prevent 13 Celtic players from playing in two games. Yeah, I think redaction first, it's always very, very difficult to actually get through a document and understand it properly because so much gets taken out, names get taken out, whoever's talking, whatever the issue is, who's involved. So that's always very difficult. But the, the timing of the date seemed very interesting. That was what we kind of had a quick chat about on air. Um, the communication just seems to cease. So it will be interesting to see what happens in the follow-up of this. Uh, but you know, I think still, I'm still of the opinion, no matter what happened, Celtic shouldn't have went to Dubai and it was a, a bad mistake. The, the club admitted that, Peter admitted that in a video. No matter whether they had been given the thumbs up, in my opinion, it was a silly mistake to make, especially when the club still have staff in furlough but could afford a you know, few hundred thousand pound trip to Dubai that was not needed and basically killed two games for us. Yeah, we've heard some horrific figures, like even as uh, high as half a million quid, mm. Declan. You, you're reading the, the document, and as you say, with regards to redactions, and for anyone who has been unfortunate enough to be employed in a position where you've had to do redactions, you will know that it's so easy because it's human error. It's human error. I mean, you can type into the, if it's Adobe or whatever you use, a certain word that you want to redact, that's fine, but it doesn't catch them all. And you might give away somebody's identity, not by name, but by position. It's a very difficult and labour-intensive job. Um, but to be fair, that was only 30-odd pages. I, I was in a job, JP, where my redactions were over a 1,000 pages long, and we were doing reports with bundles like that every single week. So it's mind-numbing. Um, but yes... A lot of coffee and a lot, a lot of all-nighters, probably. A lot of Red Bull, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, th th these are the things that brings it back to focus. It's one of these things, as Declan says, we've spoke about it time and time again, the Dubai trip. It brings it back into focus. Um, and, obviously, the, the post-Dubai press conference with Neil Lennon, and he was talking about hypocrisy, and then there's a suggestion that uh, we were harshly dealt with in relation to the amount of players that couldn't play in those two games. Um, what, how, what's your feelings on this, JP? Is it time to move on? I mean, because I'm guessing now that someone else will put in another freedom of information request for the dates uh, following, you know, the timeline of that particular report. 
I mean, the actual the the aftermath of Dubai and what it caused us is is there for all to see in terms of who we had to play in those games and who we had personnel to play in those games. That can't be changed now. So it's ultimately, I think, it's futile if you're you know talking about whether goalposts were changed or anything else. It was a it was a fluid situation, wasn't it? It's not as if there was any precedent for this, you know, happening. It's, I don't really think you could sort of start pointing fingers. I certainly wouldn't start pointing fingers and saying, "Oh well, or oh, they changed it, they changed this, or they changed that because it was Celtic." Um, you know, some sort of discrimination against us or, or the club. Um, I think maybe maybe there was a, a case that they were just not organised or they weren't on the ball in terms of everything that was going on to do that. But it was a, it's a, it was a brand new situation for everybody. So I certainly start to point the finger. One thing I would say is, is why did Celtic um, place such emphasis on going to Dubai? You know, why, why was there such a, 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 a desire by the manager and the club to go and take all that playing staff over to Dubai? And then you've got to think back to, you know, Neil Lennon's outburst after Ferenc Varos and saying that players didn't want to be there. Was, was Dubai a genuine last-ditch attempt, or not last-ditch attempt, but an attempt to try and create a bit of harmony, a bit of camaraderie, you know, and did, did they think that that would do that in, in terms of, you know, it's always great to go away with people that you work with and everything like that. I went on a, a work trip with uh, DF to Berlin and it was amazing, you know, the whole, the whole of our DF uh, group all went to Berlin for a couple of days. That was our Christmas uh, night out and it, it did build bonds and it did, you know, create a camaraderie. So was that genuinely there? Even despite the fact that it was completely a terrible idea, given the, 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 the circumstances that they went there, in. but was that there? Did, did that show you the, the lack of harmony that was there, and um, that that became, oh, let's let's press the button on Dubai, let's go to Dubai. In the last throw of the dice. Yeah, I mean, as I, it I, arguably, arguably, it might have worked <laughs> because I still maintain that those those games after after January, if we did gone into those games with a full personnel available. Arguably, we would have won them. I mean, it's all ifs and buts and maybe. I'm not trying to make excuses, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I think we could have taken care of those games. Uh, that's what I'm saying. And then when they, when they weren't taken care of, everybody just kind of went, "Oh well, that's it, isn't it?" You know. And then when when Nisbet scored that equaliser, probably Lennon sitting at home self isolating was just like, oh, "Well, that's that then." Talking to Ocoflex and his AirPods, apparently. <laughs> yeah. um, now, when when we're looking, at, there's a couple of other points to cover here. We've named a couple of players there. Um, Celtic's signing policy, Declan, is something that has been obviously uh, discussed uh, because we're moving into a new regime, a restructure, a rebuild, all of these things. And Colin Watt yesterday was talking about how... Um, influential a new man could be coming in and working with what he's got you know as well as supplementing that complementing it with new signings but but really getting the best out of what he's got and I think Colin was onto something because we've seen it in the past the example that Colin used was Martin O'Neill coming in and perhaps getting the best out of some players such as Stan Petrov for example I mean he he absolutely bloomed under Martin O'Neill some of the other examples that get thrown about Bobby Petter see I'm not so sure on that because I, I know that he had a few good games but it's not as though we had two and a half cracking seasons out of Bobby I, I don't think so anyway I just think that the games were so pivotal um, JP pivotal I moments 
Ajax in the 6-2 game but I, I don't think we've seen that over a period of time uh, from Bobby Pitt and I'm not having a dig at Bobby but um, I think the big one for me was someone like Stan Petrov you know because he had uh, come in at a, a bad time uh, for anyone really under John Barnes and, and Kenny Dalglish so Colin was talking about getting the best out of three or four guys who've maybe underperformed this season as the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Also, getting the best out of three or four of the younger players who are maybe on the cusp of something, just on the edges, the fringes of the squad, and then maybe getting something out of some of the lone guys that are out there playing and playing well elsewhere. And I think he is onto something because, you know, we had done a previous podcast where, you know, at the top ends, we were getting rid of 18 players, which is just astronomical amounts of personnel to be getting rid of. And any uh, organisation, never mind a football team um, but we started talking about that and I think he's got a good point on it and the example I would use, I guess and I'm not thinking for a moment that we can go out and get a manager of this calibre what, what I'm talking about is the impact that he's made and I know JP will also have a, a view on this um, so Thomas Tuchel, for example he comes in, he replaces a club legend uh, at Chelsea in January and at that point you know, the club are underperforming uh, Lampard is sacked uh, unceremoniously they're sitting 8th in the league they're now 4th they're in an FA Cup final they're in a European Cup final against a team that JP is not too fond of but it's a great example it's a great example of a club just acting when the time is right and making that change and then the manager and as I say I'm not saying we're going to get anyone of that same calibre but the manager making that impact Declan you know getting a song out with so many players that weren't doing it for Lampard before and you know it's with a bit of regret that I'm looking at that because I'm a bit like JP I still think that at that moment we could have turned it round um, but we didn't make the change Yeah I mean I, I never thought I would ever be in a podcast praising Roman Abramovich but you know, they made the right moves this season. Um, and no doubt, when Tucho came in, guys like Zuma, Christensen, um, I'm trying to think who else played at the back for Chelsea, certainly Zuma and Christensen as defenders, big Thiago Silva's in there, the old uh, PSG man, he certainly made them a lot more of a defensive unit. Even some of the goalkeepers' saves last night were excellent. They were under the cosh for a bit of the game, but they, they, they silenced Benzema very well and played very well now. Rudiger, I've just seen that in the comments, um, that early on in the season, Chelsea were struggling, like ourselves, to defend properly. They were having horror shows and, you know, they made the change and it did work. Now, mm. whether it would have worked this season, again, it's all just if, buts and maybes, but you can at least try it and you can at least try and inject something new. That change shouldn't have been John Kennedy at that point because we've seen that that's just been the same continuation of the old guard since John's had the job. Mm-hmm. Is it over 60 days now Paulie's been there? It is, yes, it's over 60, over 60 days. days. So, you know, I mean, between Brendan coming in in 60 days, he'd beaten Lincoln Red Imps, three and Celtic Park, very different team, but, you know, and had a team and Harmony and Jelen together. Mm. So if we'd have made the change, even at the very last ditch point at Ross County in the League Cup, you know, I don't know what could have happened then, but we didn't. And where we are just now is our own doing. It is. The architects of our own demise. I don't know what yeah. the Latin is for that, JP, but uh, you're going to come in and add something there to what well, Dave yeah, was saying. It, it, 
does lead me on to a bit of research that I've done because um, on Sunday, after Sunday's um, uh, game against Rangers, I, I mentioned something about COVID and I only managed to shoot on a little bit in of what I actually uh, was trying to say in the comments. <laughs> Somebody said, JP, stop it, you're embarrassing yourself. And I, and I, and I, and I read that and I was like, okay, I'm going I'm to take that point and uh, try and elaborate. So if you look back at the January to March last season, well, last year, pre-COVID, January to March, we scored, we won nine games and we, we drew one. We scored 34 goals in 10 games. Eddie scored nine, Griffith scored seven, McGregor scored six, Julian three, two apiece for Ayer and, and Cham, and then the goals were spread uh, one apiece after that. Man of the matches, the actual game man of the matches, not Celtic man of the matches. Eddie got three, McGregor got three, Griffiths got one, Forrest got one. Of the players who played who have left, Forster played all the games, obviously, so he's gone. And Cham played seven of those ten games and mm. only didn't play the last three, probably because of injury. Hayes played two, Bauer played one, Frimpong one, and Jozo played. Jozo played most of them because we were playing three at the back. Yeah. So all those players were playing for something. What were they playing for? I would argue they were playing for a move. And I include McGregor in that. And I include Eduard in that. And I include um, uh, uh, Aya in that as well. And those guys were flying. We scored 34 goals in 10 games. Everybody knows what the next game was that didn't happen, right? The season was curtailed. Mm-hmm. So I would argue that without COVID, those players, this big, massive rebuild that has to happen this summer, I don't think would be as big because I think some of those players would have moved last summer. We wouldn't have liked it. It wouldn't have gone down well ahead of this monumental season. But I think some of those players would have gone. And I think we would have had to go out and sign players to replace them. We'd have surely had to spend serious money to get them. And I just think you would have been left with a squad starting this season that had a far bigger appetite for success because there might have been players there that hadn't won anything. These players have all won everything for the last four years. And uh, you've got a different mentality going into Champions League qualifiers and you don't have Neil Lennon coming out at the end. Foolishly, in my eyes, I'm not defending him. He shouldn't have come out and revealed what he did about the players not wanting to be there and how they come to him and said they didn't want to be there. So you're you're utilising a squad with that. And that's before you talk about Fallen Gollies. That's before you talk about Dubai and the self-isolation. That's before you talk about the international games where uh, Christie has to self-isolate, Eddie gets COVID, all of that. And that's even before you get to the fans because everyone automatically thinks, oh, you're just saying, oh, because you didn't have fans. That's way down my list of priorities when I'm talking about the impact of COVID on Celtic. Mm. Celtic were fragile going into COVID. We didn't anticipate it. And I think the, the board probably thought they could have got away with it without COVID and they might just have. And it's a gamble they should never have made, in my opinion, but they were in a fragile state. Rangers were, and it, Rangers sailed through a storm and we capsized in August. And that's what I want to say about that. No, JP, what you have uh, realised, if you haven't realised already, is that um, every single word you say will be scrutinised, criticised, and that's what happened because you made a point but didn't really have the opportunity to expand on the point which you just did there. And I'm looking at the situation thinking, well, you know, actually, you know, when you add all that up, it's great to do so with, with hindsight. Of course it is. And you look at the comments that Neil Lennon made too, 
comments that are very relevant to what you said. Firstly, there's guys in there who don't want to be here and haven't wanted to be here for some time. And it's starting to bug, it's starting to bug me with these words. The other thing that you said um, in, a, in a around that, that situation in relation to the fact that, you know, the guys didn't want to be there were that, and this was bizarre, maybe they are sick of winning. Remember that one? You know, so yeah. So when you look at it from that um, kind of angle, Declan, I think it's a good point you raise, JP. It's just so unfortunate that we're sitting here in May, mm-hmm. looking back, and it is what ifs. But I think that the club would have approached the transfers in a completely different way had we brought in all the tens of millions for the players described. And you know, had you sold and Cham back, then you would have got a good fee. Edward was playing at his optimum in terms of the fee. You would have been able to get Christie Ayer and maybe some more. So you're right, you're talking big, big money coming in. The rebuild would have been vast, but it would have been a completely different story. But this does take us on to what is the rebuild going to look like? So first and foremost, I take Colin's point on board, bring in a, a manager of quality, and I think yeah, I'm still looking for Eddie Howe to be that man. I've got to say, I'm not looking elsewhere. I know Celtic have been uh, offered uh, Paolo Fonseca, um, and I think any other club who's managerless uh, in a, a reasonably a reasonably big club or in a big league will be offered the manager as well. Obviously, that's going to ha- happen through agents. But I'm still pinning my hopes on Eddie Howe. So if he comes in, Declan, and he has that same effect that O'Neill had on the likes of Petrov, and we could probably go through you know, the effect that Rodgers had on various players, um, then, yeah, that's going to improve what we have. But then when we look at the, the actual transfer side of things, couple of things working against us and many other teams. Firstly, there's a financial aspect of getting out of COVID and recovering um, out of COVID. And then obviously there's the Brexit aspect of, you know, bringing players in willy-nilly from over Europe isn't going to be as easy when you're looking at work permits, etc. And there was an interesting discussion um, activated last night, which I wasn't really part of because I was finishing season three of Ashes to Ashes. That shows you how long it takes me to catch up with things, JP, right? Um, I kind of sussed it out, but it was good for it to confirm what I had been thinking. But you look at the way that we've been signing players. Yes, it has worked uh, a number of times when you bring someone in for two to three million pounds and you sell them on as a profit. We all know that that was the the kind of, um, you know, the blueprint for success for Peter Lowell making money for the club. Russell makes a great point that, you know, why not just qualify for the group stages of the Champions League rather than sell the players and make just as much money, which I do subscribe to. But then I was looking at influential players that we've had who are all Scottish players, most of whom were signed from Scottish teams uh, over the last few years. So you look at Scott Brown. I'm not going to tell you where we signed them from, but because you'll know David Turnbull. You know Craig Gordon's last club was Sunderland, but you know he's a Scottish player, largely based in Scotland. Ryan Christie, Stuart Armstrong, Lee Griffiths. Again, we signed him from Wolves, but I, you know he was available to us when he was at Hibs and uh, when he was at uh, Livingston Dundee when he was a prolific goal scorer. Greg Taylor from Kilmarnock. You then look at some of the, the most influential players that we ourselves have produced. Scottish players, James Forrest, Callum McGregor, Kieran Tierney. And you look at some of the players that we missed out on. John McGinn, Aaron Hickey, Stephen Fletcher, James McCarthy. And the reason I'm bringing it up is, by the way, I can't see a centre-half in that entire group or even a goal scorer. But <laughs> you get my point. You know, Over the last 10 years or so, you imagine a team built around that as a nucleus. Now, 
they'd have won the league, you know, and they would have probably uh, performed a lot better in Europe than some of the teams that we've put into European competition. The reason I'm bringing it up is that there's certain names getting, uh, you know, linked to Celtic at the moment. You know, Lewis Ferguson, um, Doig at Hibs, Campbell at Mullerwell, Jamie McGrath at uh, St Mirren. These are guys that people are sometimes, um, you know, turning their nose up at. And that's not the class of player we need at Celtic. We need to think bigger than that to be a success at Celtic. And I'm not too sure now, Declan, I'll come to you first, that that's the case at this moment in time. I think the shining example of that at the moment is Turnbull. The season before that was probably Ryan Christie. You know, going back a few more seasons and it's Stuart Armstrong. And these are guys we brought in from Scottish football, Scottish football players. Um, and I think with everything else that's happening with the COVID and Brexit, players like Ferguson, I think, would be good additions to this squad. Colin disagrees with me and that's fine. But, you know, I think if we supplement the team with the, the odd player from overseas that uh, we think can come in and play our system, that's great. But I think we need to go the other way you know, during this transitional period. And we do need to look closer at home. What's your thoughts on that, Dick? Well, I think it's always been something Celtics did. I mean, not to compare the, the, the two teams and the two generations, but even under Jock Steen, you know, adding guys like Dixie Deans, Harry Hood, Stevie Murray into the squad that was already developed has always been something that Celtics did. If you go at the centenary year, we bring up a Scottish striker and he's arguably the guy that wins us the league that year. Obviously signing him from West Ham. But on that point, I think, you know, just because they're Scottish, we just undervalue them. We just think to ourselves, oh, you know, Lewis Ferguson. I think Lewis would be a good signing for Celtic, but some people would rather us buy a, a four million pound player from Manchester City's academy because he's French or something, which doesn't make sense to me. I think Lewis, he's still young. He's still got a bit in him to develop. Same goes for Doig Hibbs. So why, why turn your nose up at players like this? And Ryan Christie is an example of a player. He's been poor this season, but what you were saying earlier, Paul, last summer, You've made an absolute killing in Ryan Christie financially. Mm. And the same goes for a few of the other players if you'd have punted about their prime. You know, I don't doubt that if David Turnbull has another few strong seasons at Celtic, the, the few million quid that you paid for him, you'll make money on. So, you know, I've got absolutely no problem with his buying Scottish players. And I don't think that Lewis Ferguson or Josh Doig would be bad signings for Celtic. I think they would add something to the squad. And I think they would, you know, be good enough to be in the first team because they've still got a bit of development to go. And there's nothing wrong with buying Scottish players. It's something we've always did and something we should continue to do. The thing is, JP, I'm not saying for a moment that it's a fail-safe. Nothing never, ever is. I mean, Gary Mackay, Stephen, I thought he'd have been a success at Celtic. And he flopped. And there's other Scottish players that have come in. Scott Allen came in fairly recently. Lewis Morgan came in. It didn't work out for him. And I thought Allen was a fantastic player at Hibs when we signed him. So... What's your view on this? I mean, it, it can be a bit kind of snobby of fans, I guess, and I'm, I'm probably falling into that category. You look at marquee signings. As Declan says, just because he's, you know, he's got a sexy name and a sexy background and we sign him from the PSG Academy, oh, he's a better bet than somebody who's actually in the league that you are participating in and doing well in that league. Do you think that some through design, but some through necessity, we will see a lot more of an influx of kind of Scottish players coming into Celtic this pre-season? Uh, I, I wouldn't have an issue with it. I think there's probably got to be a balance. I think we definitely need to bring in experience. You know, I don't think we should be going all out and signing just like loads of young guns, you know, Scottish young guns. I think, you know... As I mentioned earlier on, if there was to be a ready-made captain brought in, you'd like to think it would be somebody with a bit of gravitas. And you know, if, if it was a 
you know, a guy that was in his late twenties, early thirties, or whatever, but was, you know, of some renowned, uh, you know, be it whatever nationality, um, that would be that would be something I would be hoping for. But with regards to signing players like that, you want players that are. As Russell said this before, you want players that are aware that they are playing for a big club and and are not overawed by it, but they embrace it and they go for it. And you know, if you ask them to run through a wall, they'll ask you for another wall to run through after it. That's the type of people that you want, you know, um, and that really really appreciate it. I mean, I listened to John McGinn talking about winning the Scottish Cup with Hibs, and mm. it's it's so it's so unfortunate that we didn't get that guy because. I just like the way he talks and, and and that's before you even get to his feet and what he does in a football park, you know what I mean? Just the way he talks. Um, and and on that note, I did I did like Jack Hendry taking strips off that guy in the dressing room and uh, calling him a face cadet. Oh, that was pretty good. And, I, and by the way, I, I never jumped on the battering Jack Hendry bus. I actually said on a Melly at the Match 20 Minute Tim's podcast, I was with Melly at a game and we were talking about Jack Hendry after the game and Jack Hendry's pilloried for a run of games which Celtic lost. Celtic lost three games in a row and Jack Hendry played all those games. And I think because he's associated with those losses, subliminally Celtic fans just completely wrote him off. And and then there's obviously there's the, the, the video of him running about at halfway line with the ball. I think it was at Partick Thistle where he doesn't really cover himself in glory. But I don't think Jack Hendry is by any means, as he's obviously proven in Belgium, is by any means a dud. I, I, I really don't. I, you know, I might, I might be made foolish to, uh, made to look foolish for saying that. But I, I, and I never did. I always kind of thought there's got to be something there. Do you know? The thing with that one is, as well, JP, going back to what Colin was saying, you know, if we are able to to pull a couple of these guys back from loan who have mm-hmm. gone out and, and performed, I think Henry's the, the classic example. I don't think Luke O'Connell's ready to come back. I think another season out on loan would do him wonders, uh, either at Queen's Park or maybe at a higher level. And there's a couple of other guys like that, but I think maybe Sved might come back. I don't know, but we've got to make a decision on him pretty soon. Uh, and again, this is all opinion-based because I'm not scouting these players. I'm not seeing them. I'm just seeing the snippets that everyone else is seeing, you know, of bio scores a goal here or there in the second tier of French football. But it does take me back to the, the Jack Hendry signing and talking to the scout who scouted him and um, the reports that he was giving back to Brennan Rogers about Jack Hendry. And um, this is a quote, by the way, using one of Declan's wee legal words there, verbatim. This is a verbatim quote. He said he was returning performances like Beckenbauer. And I just thought, wow, that's tremendous. So I now call him Jack and Bauer, right? So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe next season we'll see some of that. And at the time, at that time, I'm thinking, really, Beckenbauer? Wow, because he was probably going through that that kind of um, run of games where he wasn't really showing. But interestingly enough, again, just coming to my mind here, talking to the scout, uh, and I won't get him into trouble. But he was talking about the change in approach. Um, of Brennan Rogers when it came to the you know the week I think it was a weekly meeting uh, that they had with Brendan Rogers and Brendan Rogers obviously there was loads and loads of players who were being scouted always as being scouted by Celtic and all the scouts would um, feed back the the reports on X Y and Z and and he was engaging with just about every single player that was getting put on his table and he was asking questions he was interested but there was a distinct change there was a moment where that all changed and whatever was being reported back Rogers was not interested he had checked out 
because he knew he was never going to get the budget for the players that he wanted. So no matter who was being presented to him, and I think it's all around the Castagne and others deals that didn't go through. And McGinn, of course, we've mentioned McGinn, he had checked out and he knew that a lot of the players that were being presented to him were never going to be the standard that he wanted at Celtic. But his attitude and his approach you know, actually changed and, and the scout who I was talking to actually commented on how bad a change it was, how noticeable a change it was. He just he wasn't interested in what was being presented to him by that stage. Um, so that's interesting. But by that time, we had bought Jack Hendry and he definitely was a Brennan Rogers player. You know how we talk about the players that he didn't sign, Marvin Comper and Marion Schwed and, and others. Well, Henry was definitely a guy who Rogers rated very highly. I think there was a line in the sand where that moment happened and it, it just like the line in the sand was drawn and then after that moment it became a point where Celtic were just signing whoever they wanted and it didn't really have Rogers' input. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think so. That's I know. I think what happens is that obviously Bren Rogers get a, gets a hard time from a lot of Celtic fans because he didn't cover himself in glory the way that he left. And a lot of people I've spoken to say that, you know, he didn't even get in touch with them who were at the club, people mm. who were employed by the club. So he's never ever going to change that because that's what happened. But I think the circumstances at some point will come out. I'm just not sure that Brennan Rogers will, will talk about it because he's always very respectful when he talks about Celtic. And he always mm. has been since he left. Um, but with these things, somebody will write a book, somebody will um, contribute to a book, someone will speak on a podcast and in the future when they're no longer part of the, the actual club and the truth will come out. But I think there was a lot of things, JP, we've heard a lot of the the reasons why the, the relationship between Brennan Rogers and Peter Lowell was strained and then broke down. But yeah, there was a, a very visible day that we'd have gone in and gone about their business the same way as they always had done with scouting reports and feeding back, not interested. Didn't even engage in relation to, is this a guy that we can improve our squad with? So that, that was interesting for me. But Jack Hendry, who knows, he might come back, but we're talking about Scottish young guns. That was a good term that JP used about some of the players that we've been linked to. And uh, I always say this when we're talking about Celtic Colts teams. Jock Steen wanted this to happen in 1968, Declan. He made the application for Celtic to have a B team in the Scottish League. It was a second division at that time. Was it called the Division B, maybe, by that spot? There was only two leagues. And the Scottish uh, second division would have housed a Celtic reserve team. And Jock Steen tried to sell this. He tried to sell it to the clubs. He tried to sell it to um, the association. And what actually happened was it was Partick Thistle that had the, the um, defining vote, and they voted against it because they didn't want people who might have gone to Partick Thistle games to go to a Celtic Reserve game when Celtic weren't playing at home. Um, all these years later, there is a deal firmly on the table um, and we're looking to put a Colts team, Declan, into the Lowland League system. Now, they are proposing that it's a one-season trial. It will not affect promotion or relegation in any way, shape or form. They're looking at players who are going to be uh, under, I think, 20 years of age, 22 players of a squad. And they're looking at this situation, I think the clubs are looking at the situation in the respect that there's not a lot of money down there 
in those leagues there's not a lot of money there's not a lot of sponsorship and there's certainly not a lot of broadcasting you only see these teams if, you know, if they make it into the Scottish Cup first round proper really and they're looking at the money uh, there is a cash incentive for Celtic and Rangers to have a team in the league and you know it will actually it will ultimately come down to a member's vote Declan talk us through the pros and cons of this happening for next season and also consider is this Celtic uh, maintaining a Scottish presence for when we leave the league Hmm. That's another. That's a question for probably another day. That one. But pros and cons to me certainly pros is players getting football. Especially in the last year, you know, younger players haven't had as much football. Um, the other pros to it is again the actual league and what that could bring in if we do start to get fans, any type of fans back to stadiums. You know, ticket money and whatnot could just help a few clubs. I think whenever Celtic or Rangers will play, there will be a support that will go and watch them, no matter where it is in the country. So it's another pro in my. My opinion, um, it might bring a wee bit more attention to the leagues in terms of sponsorships and whatnot because you've got a Celtic and Rangers development side in there. And the cons, people would maybe argue about the level of the league. Mm. We saw how well Luca Corals did going down to League Two and playing for Queen's Park. Probably be an argument a lot of Celtic fans would make that they would rather guys like Kim and like Ryan Mullins at Queen's Park too would rather they would go to a, a team of that level and play their football because maybe go down there and get booted about the place but football has obviously changed a lot of people would say you know Jockstein used to send a lot of players out to junior side and that's where they would learn their trade mm. um, another con is it only being one year and it not lasting as long but I, I think if you weigh it up it's certainly something I would rather we, we had than didn't have because if they're not going to get the option to play anywhere else and not going to get those games why not give it a bash and see how it goes so I'm, I'm right up for it and I think it would be a positive yeah, um, I'm the same as yourself. Uh, I do really support the idea. We've spoken about it a fair bit, JP, on a Celtic state of mind. What do you feel about the, the level? I think it's a fair point that Declan raises, and I think Jim Moore is of the same view, that the level's maybe not high enough to develop the players. My counter to that is they're playing games, and at the moment they're not really playing games, so it's a better level than they're playing at the moment. Yeah, I think to, to, to nitpick over the, the standard. Um, is is maybe being a bit fussy about it because ultimately, like you say, it's games and it's it's not just training and it's not you know not having any. I think a, a lot a lot of it's probably got to do with like bonding and interaction and just having like a camaraderie. Like if you're not playing games, regardless of the level, you're not going to have that. And you know it's all about creating relationships between different players on the pitch. You know, like what if there's like a right back and a right midfielder that I've got a good under, good understanding that plays for a whole season and then you could transfer that into into the first team. Um, I know that's quite a fanciful thought, obviously, to have two players of of uh, you know on the same side, you know, coming into the to the first team. But it, it's a possibility. Is it when is it going to happen? Is it's not from next season, is it? Yeah, that's the proposal for next season. Oh, right, jeez, yeah. oh, I didn't realise yeah. it was as quick as that. So p- potentially we. Us three could go and watch a Celtic Colts team in the Lowland League before getting back to Celtic Park because that was, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, well, it's a possibility yeah. because uh-huh. you know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of numbers for the stadium. I know obviously the Euros and twelve thousand at Hampden and all the rest of it, but a full house at Celtic Park to me is still some way away. So let's start looking into. Uh, <laughs> I don't know buses to wherever. <laughs> I don't even know who. I'm ignorant. I don't even know who plays in the Lowland League. So apologies for that. 
No, it's, that's again, straight away, uh, JP, I think you made a good point by saying that because I'm now looking at the Lowland League. Is that something I would have done uh, normally, ordinarily, if Celtic weren't involved? Probably well, not. I will, I will now, definitely. I, I, if, if you told me next weekend I could go and watch a Lowland League game, and I know it's obviously not happened yet, but if you told me I could go and watch a Celtic team play in a game and be socially distanced at a, at a, like a, a wee ground somewhere, um, you know, like if it was the same as like Lockerman Park and Mary Hill along the road or whatever, you know, you could go and watch a game. I'd hundred percent go and watch that. Well, you know? it, it could be. I'm not able to watch a football match in real life for over a year. Do you know? I know. I know. You could be watching East Stirlingshire at Falkirk Stadium, which has a capacity just under 8,000. Or you could be watching Cumbernauld Colts at Broadwood Stadium, which has a capacity of just over 8,000. So, new experiences, uh, possibly, for next season, JP. A couple of comments before we wrap up. Now, Maravchik comes in to say, by the way, Kalmak can put his foot in where it hurts as well. Yep. He has been penalised, unfortunately, <laughs> um, a few times this season. Gary Byron, get rid of the lot. New team, new manager, get the support excited. It's going to take three windows to get it right away. And I just think that, you know, we've, we've had that podcast where we spoke about bringing in 12 players and all that. That in itself has has issues, hasn't it? I mean, when you think about bonding, which you've just mentioned, JP, to try and bond a team together when there's so many new faces is a difficulty in itself. So th- these, for me, are some of the things that we need to consider. And also, is the finance going to be there? Because if we sell some of these big-name players, uh, say big-name players, guys with uh, who are assets, who have a, a value, um, it's not necessarily going to then be reinvested in the in the playing staff because you know because of the COVID issues that yeah. we've, we've spoken about. Um, so yeah, we have got someone just correcting me there. Yeah, View Park, not Uddingston. Thank you very much, Kevin Goldie. I did visit that last. Um, I, I visited it. Last year, I think it was. And you know how you get, if you do a video and you post it on Twitter, it automatically tells you mm. your location. And it said that the location was Uddingston. Even though I'm standing there and I know where I am. And um, yeah, the amount of people that came on Twitter saying, Paul, you've got that wrong. But it was the automatic location finder your, that was on location. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, so thanks very much for that. And I would actually advise anybody who is in the area to go up to the view park and because it's a nice wee garden area where, where the Jimmy Johnston statue is situated as well but more statues the better for me and as I say we've not started um, raising funds yet for the Bruni to go across the road from Jim Baxter but you know what we might we might revisit that idea in the future um, thanks everybody for getting involved Twitter, Facebook and on YouTube if you haven't already done so please subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, we're going to have some prize giveaways uh, very soon as well if you subscribe just to get you on the channel and get you involved if you want to take part in the dialing which happens on a Wednesday afternoon get in touch the emails have started coming through it's pauljohndykes at gmail.com I know that a lot of our um, competitors fans of our competition listen into this so you know I don't think it would be a good idea for you to appear on it but uh, that's my email address for the Celtic fans who want to have a say in the running of the, the club who want to have a say in the rebuilding of the club get involved it was a great show yesterday as a trial run and we will get as many of you involved as possible all that's left for me to say is Declan McConville JP Mason thank you again
Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything. But losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply